Amen, amen, amen. We are who he says we are. If I could have my three students come on up at this time. Um, I asked them to do this. Some of them were hesitant. Some of them backed out. Uh, some of them told me no right off the front at the gate. Uh, start of this. But um, sometimes I think it's good that you guys hear from the kids about what Modified Youth does in their life, what you guys are pouring into, what you guys are investing in, what you guys are praying for. So I asked a few of them just to share for a minute what the youth group means to them. So Tommy Bruns is going to lead us off. Okay, so I was asked around Monday evening by Rick on Instagram. He DM'd me to come up here and uh, talk about what modified youth means to me. And I could just say like one word about like what it means to me, but that wouldn't be very long. <laughs> so around a year ago, uh, I was in the eighth grade and I was going through some rough times. I wasn't very good at making friends, so I was pretending to be other people. And that tended to get people to like me, but uh, I was going through a rough time. And uh, my friend Paige invited me to come to church on a Sunday. And so I went and I got introduced to Rick and a bunch of other people in the youth group and I hadn't been going to church for about three or four years at that point. And like I was just going through a rough time. I was depressed. My family was divorced. I was like going through a lot of stuff. And I, I decided to go to church. And whenever I did, I, I, I accepted Jesus back into my life. And uh, it just really helped me through that tough time. Uh, but if I were to say what modified youth means to me, it would be family. Because as soon as I came, everybody accepted me. Thank you. Um, so obviously we all got asked the same question. Um, and it was pretty easy. It's like modified youth is important to me for a lot of reasons. And mostly because like, it helps me escape from like the worries and the distractions of the world that we have to deal with every day. I know I can just go there and leave everything else at the door in order to worship with people with the same goal and the same mindset. And um, it's an amazing atmosphere with a lot of amazing people. We're all family there and just great people with Rick and the volunteers and the teens. You just, you feel loved and it's, that's really important, especially at our age, to feel that. And you feel accepted, hopefully, we try. And it's just, you can go and worship in a way that fits you, and you can connect with God. And I have, obviously, I've discovered so many things because of I wouldn't have done that five minutes ago if it hadn't been for Modified Youth. I wouldn't have even known that I could do that. And um, I've just met so many amazing people, and... I connect with God on a whole nother level level that I didn't even think was possible before my idea. And so, yeah, it means everything to me. It's something to look forward to every week, and it's a pick-me-up, and it's just, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have modified youth to look forward to every week. So, yeah. Okay, so I'm not in high school anymore, but he, so Rick asked me, how it had affected me and how it's helped me 
And the only word I could think of was grow, because it's true. With starting in sixth grade, I thought all that being a Christian meant was knowing the Bible verses, knowing the Bible stories, and then knowing who Jesus was. And I knew that. I was saved at the age of nine, and I was raised in church my entire life. So I knew all of those things. So I was like, I got this. I was wrong very quickly because we went to Dare to Share in sixth or seventh grade, and Logan Hackworth asked us to go up to two random people and tell them who Jesus was. And I thought he was crazy. I was like, there is no way I'm talking to strangers. Are you nuts? So I, I didn't, I'll be honest, I did not. I went to the teenagers, and I was like, or the high schoolers, and I was like, I'll hang out with you guys and let you do it and claim that I did it too. Well, it wasn't until about my sophomore or junior year, which was when Rick started, that I realized that being a Christian was actually living out those things, living like you knew the Bible verses and the stories and knowing who God was. And, but I was still very fearful. I wouldn't pray out loud. I would not stand up here and talk. I would not play the piano. Like, I was terrified. And then Rick liked to push me out of my comfort zone, and it made me despise him a little bit, and I told him that. I, I like my little box, and Rick pushed me out of that, which I'm super grateful now. But um, I know that without the youth group, I would not have grown and grown closer to God and grown to where I was in my, with the boldness of faith. And also, Rick told me to do this while I'm up here, so I'm going to. I'm starting a Wednesday night small group, which also is very... Out of my box for me, I am terrified, but I'm also so excited. So if you are college age and you have nothing to do on Wednesday night, I have a place for you in room 113 from 7 to 8, and I hope to see you all there. Um, yes, I think it's good to hear from them too, um, and not just take my word for it, but to know that your prayers, that your financial support, everything you guys pour into Modified Youth is producing kids that are in love with Jesus, um, that are on fire for Jesus, and we're seeing great things happen back there. Um, we just had a young man come to the Lord Wednesday night. Uh, so. so I always do this before I start on Modified Youth Sundays. Is I just want all my volunteers that help out on Wednesdays or if you help out with our snack, we feed kids every Wednesday night. So if you're a volunteer that helps us on Wednesdays or you help out with snack, can you stand up? If you're on my snack list, stand up. You know who you are. You guys stay standing, stay standing. If you helped out recently with Winter 24, will you please stand? Cook and fish, anything. You helped out, have a hand in Winter 24, please stand. Thank you very much, and thank you, church, again, for everything you do for the Modified Youth Group, uh, the prayers. We feel them, and, and God's evident in everything that's going on back there, so thank you for that. We had 115 students that come to Winter 24 this year, and about 30 adults helping out with that, so exciting, tiring, all that mixed into one. I got two cold sores because I didn't get any sleep, so, you know, that's what's wrong with my lip. Sarah didn't hit me or anything, so. Anyway. Um, Again, just thankful to be here, thankful for all of you, thankful that I just started my fourth year in January. It's already been three full years that's went by, so. I made it past the two-year average. All right, this morning, um, I'm excited to bring this word that I, I feel God's laid on my heart. Um, not only for the season of, of life that I'm in, but for you guys, more importantly, this morning, uh, people in this room right now, people watching online, um, 
I really feel, you know, I, I know I felt this in my heart and I feel it for people in here too. It's an important message and one that each of us, every one of us is going to live. If we haven't lived it yet, we're going to live it. We're going to have to go through things. We're going to have to battle things. If you haven't battled or faced anything yet, you're awesome. Uh, but it's coming because we're all going to have to face things. We're all going to have to deal with things. Um, maybe you've already dealt with things in your past, but it's, it's going to happen. And you may be sitting in this room right now and you're dealing with everything. And you can't get a release right now. This message is going to be for you this morning. Um, and I, I think it's going to speak to everybody's hearts in here today. I'm going to give you my title. And again, I'm excited about this. And I say I'm excited because it's something that, that lets the devil know that he is not welcome in our lives. I thought it would get a little more. He's not welcome in our lives, and he has to go. Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Up against it this morning. The title this morning is Eviction Notice. Eviction Notice. And I want to encourage you this morning that whatever it is you're facing, the battle has already been won and the devil has no authority in your life. Getting better, getting better. Um, we are children of God. We are serving him in eviction notice this morning. We are serving the devil in eviction notice this morning. And it's signed and backed up by our almighty God. Goodness. So whatever it is you're going through, the battle's already been won. Okay? Eviction notice. Let me put it a different way, see if we can get a little more rowdy in here, okay? Eviction notice maybe didn't help, so let's, let's try this. You guys repeat after me. Devil! Devil! Is that it? Is that all we got? We're, we are commanding something, okay? We're speaking with authority. Devil! Devil! You gotta go! Yeah, I like that. Let's do it again. Devil! Devil! You gotta go! Some of you guys, that's the loudest you've ever yelled at the enemy right here, right now. Being serious. Okay, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 to get started this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. And the majority of these will be on the screen for you also. Um, but we're gonna start here and... Land somewhere by the end of this. I know pastors talked about that before. You might start out thinking, what in the world are we doing? And then you land it somewhere eventually. So I'm going to try that this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. So the priests had special sacrifices they offered daily for the sins of man. They could never remove the sins from the man, but they could cover those with the sacrifice of animals. And all they were doing was covering the sin. They weren't removing it from the people, okay? And price meaning the blood of animals is a sacrifice. So they were not able to remove the sin, so the priests were standing. They were ministering. They were offering repeatedly. The, the priests were doing all these action things over and over and over again each day to cover the sins, and we get this picture of a never-ending, on-and-on type of thing that had to be done to cover sins daily by these priests. But then the author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 10, verse 12, as we go on, that the idea begins to shift to Jesus, and it says this, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. This man, speaking of Jesus, Jesus Christ, our King of kings and Lord of lords, offered one sacrifice 
of sins forever. One. And that did it. Forever. Not daily, over and over, but one sacrifice, and he sat down at the right hand of God. Let's look at that part, too, where it says he sat down at the right hand of God. Uh, Let's relate it like this. We're at our jobs, or if we're retired, we're out doing something in the yard, we're working hard, we're at our jobs, we're working hard, we're doing our thing, and when we get home from whatever it is that we did that day, and we get done, we get home, we walk in the house, and we go in, and here's what happens for me in particular. I head straight from my closet, and I get my work clothes off, which really aren't like work clothes, but I get those off, and I put shorts and a t-shirt on, okay? That's my routine when I get home. I just want to get comfy. Anybody else do that? Just get comfy. You don't have to tell me what yours is. It could be something we don't want to talk about. But want to get comfy, relax, chill out. And I, fa- I find, after I do that, I find my favorite spot to sit in at home. For me, because our furniture is not very comfortable on my low back, I sit in our bed a lot and lay in our bed a lot and watch TV, okay? Not a lot, but that's where I, that's where I plant myself after the day's done. Does anybody have a favorite spot where everybody in the house knows that's so-and-so's chair? <laughs> you don't sit there, okay? You have that spot. It may even have your body crevice kind of in it, worn out, but it's your spot. You know that's where I go at the end of the day, and I'm done. My, my job is done for the day, and I'm going to relax, and this is where I'm going to sit. We all have that. Now, there's a difference between standing daily repeatedly and sitting once and for all. Jesus came once and for all and completed the job when he died on the cross for our sins. And now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father because the job was finished and completed once and for all. He is sitting right there forever at the right hand of God. Now, as we go on, this is where it gets good. Verse 13. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. A footstool. What is a footstool? Some of the teens may be going, I don't even have any idea what a footstool is. Or an ottoman. Then they're really gone. Okay? (laughs) What is that? It's a place, if you have a recliner, or for me, it's a coffee table. It's where you put your what? Put your dogs up. Give them a rest. Give them a break. Okay? We put our feet up and we relax. We give our feet a break from the long day. And we see that his enemies are his footstool. And in many cultures around the world, to place something under the foot is the biggest disgrace there is. That's where the enemy is. He is Jesus' footstool under his feet. The bottom of one's soul is one of the most disgraceful positions that someone can be in. And so the Bible is painting this picture that Jesus' enemies are underneath his feet to serve as the rest or the place that he props his feet up because the job is done. The job is done. And so with that, we know the devil, the enemy, is under the feet of Jesus, and we can all understand that, and we get excited about that. So we just clapped because I said he's under Jesus' feet. Go to Colossians. Turn over to Colossians now. Chapter 1, verse 18. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. And he, speaking of Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, 
who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in all things he may have the preeminence. All right, look to your neighbor and say, the body. Some of you guys don't want to talk to your neighbor. And look to your other neighbor and say, that's me. Okay? We are the body. Jesus is the head, and we are the body. We are, where are the feet located? On the body. Correct? Okay. You guys may have heard this before. I've heard some of you guys use it. I've used it. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. So it's paying another picture here that Jesus is the head and we are the body and the feet are a portion of our body. And we just read in Hebrews that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. He has already brought victory over his enemies, but now you and I are the body of Jesus. And the enemy is now under our feet. He's under our feet, because we are the body. Jesus is the head. We are the body. The feet are part of the body. Now he is under our feet. We have that same authority. Although we don't always walk like that, he is under our feet. Colossians. Let's go to chapter 2, verse 15. Move over just a little bit. The enemy is under our feet. Chapter 2, verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he, again speaking of Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, speaking of his victory on the cross. So it says here that Jesus not only defeated the enemy, but he made a public spectacle of it. Now back in these times when when people went to war with each other, um, after the winning army conquered, what they would do was take the heads of the ones they conquered and lined the city with them or they'd pile them up in a big pile and made a big spectacle to everyone that they were just conquered. We defeated them. Now I can imagine it going something like this with Jesus, dragging him on behind him, the one who was supposed to have reign over people, the one who was supposed to have dominion over people, the one that could do whatever he wanted to people, and Jesus is saying, you're now under my feet. You have no authority anymore. And I can just see him making a spectacle of him and letting everybody know that the victory has been won. Satan is defeated. They left no doubt about the victory that they had over the other army. And they showed their fellow soldiers the same thing. There's no doubt we just won. That's why David didn't just stop at killing Goliath with a sling and a stone. He went over to him and he cut off his head and he held it high for all the children of Israel to see. And in turn, they went and chased after the Philistine army. Made a public spectacle of it. So we see that Jesus has brought the victory once and for all. He's the head. There's nothing above Jesus. Everything is below and we are the feet. So therefore, Jesus has given us victory and made a public spectacle of defeating the devil. I feel that we as a people sometimes don't realize that we are victorious. We don't walk like that. We don't talk like that. We don't worship like that. We are victorious. 
He is under our feet. Why don't we start acting like it? Why don't I start acting like it? I'll preach to myself. Amen, Rick. Thank you. He's under our feet. Matthew 28, 18. 28, 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In heaven and on earth. Where, where does Jesus have his authority? Heaven and on earth. Okay? Um, where do we live? Okay, I'm just checking. All authority on heaven and on earth. Okay? Not partial, not some, all authority. Matthew 18, 18. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So, question for you. Is the devil seated at the left hand of God in the heavenly places? No. Said he was cast down like lightning. Gone. He has no more authority. So if it's bound in heaven, which it was, it's under his feet, guess what? It's bound on earth. He has no authority. He has no reign. He has no rule here. If the authority and power of God is loosed in heaven, guess what? It's loosed here. The power, the strength, the might, the grace, the mercy, the love, everything that is loosed in heaven is loosed here for us too. We have that in Christ. So what this means to us is that we are in a time of spiritual warfare. And, and I've, I've, I've preached this to my kids, talked to them about it, to the youth group, that there are things going on in the heavenly places and spiritual realms that you guys have no idea of what's going on over your life. There are wars, there are battles going on right now for your soul. Battles in spiritual places. Some of you guys, again, are going through things right now. Some of you guys may eventually get there where you're going to go through some stuff. But we're all in a spiritual fight. But the problem I see, and again, this is with myself too, because I'm in the middle of something right now. Coming out the other side of it, thank God. But what we don't do sometimes is we don't fight. We don't fight. With all the authority, with all the power, with everything we have behind us and in us, we don't fight. Sometimes we just roll over. Or we just act like a punching bag for the devil over and over and over again. He hits us and he hits us and he hits us and we just take it. Why? Why do I just take that? When I have Jesus in me and he's greater in me than anything in the world. Why don't I fight? We say the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And again, we say if we can just endure, if I can just survive this battle, the devil's going to leave me alone. He'll eventually stop. And yes, one of the fruits of the Spirit is long-suffering, but that's with each other. 
That does not mean we have to endure and long suffer against what the enemy brings against us. Again, we don't just have to take it repeatedly, repeatedly, over and over and over again. We don't have to do that. God's desire is not for you to just survive the attack. And guess what? If you're taking it and you're taking it and you're taking it, the devil is not going to eventually move on and leave you alone. He's out to kill you and destroy you. It's not going to stop until you put a stop to it through the power of Jesus Christ in you. It is not going to stop. Oftentimes we think if I can just endure, God, if I can just hold on, I know, I know he'll eventually leave me alone. He's got to move on to somebody else. The reality is that Jesus is waiting for his enemies to be his footstools. That's what the scripture says. He's waiting for his enemies to be his footstools. And we are the hands and feet of Jesus now. So he's waiting on us to take command of whatever it is in our life and put Satan exactly where he belongs under our feet so that he can be the footstool for Jesus. You guys remember that song? Went to the enemy's camp. He's under my feet. He's under my feet. Something to sing about. It's a different thing to walk it out. We do that a lot with our worship music, praise music. We sing things that we really don't even mean, probably. When you think about that, he's under my feet. He's under my feet. Satan is under my feet. We'd walk around with a whole lot more victory if we started walking like that. Again, we are that vessel. We are that vessel. Which means we have to fight. We have to fight. You don't have to take the butt whoopings from the devil all the time. You don't. When will we rise up and say, I'm more than a conqueror through him? When will we stand and say, you know what? This battle isn't even mine. I'm going to fight, but Jesus already won. And you're under my feet, so get out of my life. And when we fight, you have to realize, you know, sometimes when we fight and we go through things, we try to do it by ourselves. We try to do things with our own strength, with our own power, and it's never going to work. I can attest to that. I can testify that it doesn't work when you just try to go over and over on your own power, on your own strength, through whatever you think you can do. But when you step in and let God fully just release in you and walk in his power, his authority, then things start to change in your life. If you just keep him pushed back and held back where he can't manifest himself and work through you, you'll keep fighting a losing battle. 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. There's a story in Mark chapter 9, and I don't have this on the screen about the father whose son was possessed by a demon. In verse 24, he says, The father cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. In the next verse, Jesus says, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Command is an authoritative, confident order. I command you to come out of that child. Jesus speaking. 
How many times do we walk around with that authoritative, confident power? I command you, devil, to get off my life. I command you, devil, to let go of my kids. Instead, we say, I hope they come to Jesus. I really hope they do. I hope, I hope. And we don't walk in power and authority and command things and speak them as though they're not. We don't do it. And I was being serious when I said earlier, that's allowed to some of you guys have yelled at the devil in your life when we started out today. Maybe myself included. Why? We got to be able to command things in the name of Jesus to change. Amen. Command it. Speak authority over those situations. I put down, this probably isn't the, you know, the best term, but we walk around like spiritual wimps at times. Instead of strong, mighty men and women of God, we walk around like spiritual wimps. And I'm sorry if that offends you. Welcome to the club. Everybody gets offended now. Okay? But it's true. It's true in my life. It's true in people I know that we walk around weak. That verse, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he... There's a key word that's next. May devour. It doesn't say he will devour. It says he may. And may means there's a possibility that he won't. May. That's up to me and you. Is he going to destroy me? No. I'm not going to let him. It says he may. He may devour. Or he may not. If you're in here this morning and you say, you know what, I'm tired of the devil wreaking havoc in my life. I'm tired of walking around afraid. I'm tired of walking around in depression and, and all this sadness and everything that's going around in my life. I, I'm tired of walking around in it. It's up to you. Whether you want to stay there or not. Or you want to start walking with the enemy under your feet and saying, I'm walking in authority and power that Jesus has placed in me greater than he walked the earth with. So Mark Shell's story that a couple of the staff told me about and they couldn't remember word for word so I'm going to try to go off of what they told me. Um, and I've been able to listen to a lot of his messages and I uh, never got the chance to actually, you know, meet him and be here when he was here, but I told a story about how he would always uh, beat himself up after, after service, and just the devil would get in his mind about, man, you, that, that sermon you just delivered was not good. It didn't reach anybody. It didn't have any effect on anybody, and he said he would always leave church, driving home, and the enemy would attack him with those thoughts. And if I remember, you know, this is them telling me. But they said one day, he said he stopped his car, truck, whatever he was in. And I'm going to tell it like this because it sounds a whole lot better. And whether it was or not. And they said, they couldn't remember if he got out or he didn't get out. But I'm going to say he got out. He walked around to the other side, 
opened that passenger door and said, Devil, get out of here. And I can see him doing that just by listening to, listening to things he preached. And sometimes we need that. Enough is enough. Get out of my life. My brother Aaron, he said, enough's enough, devil, out of my life. I'm serving the Lord. Other of you in here, you know you had it. You came to that moment, I can't do this anymore. Devil, you got to go. And you're walking a new life in Christ now. Some of you guys will say, Rick, you gotta command, we got to command this, we got to shout, we got to... No, I know, some of you just, that's not me. I just, I'm not a yeller. Rick, I'm not a yeller, okay? That's fine. Do you know your praise is a weapon? To tear down strongholds in your life? So if you, you can't yell and you can't command, you can praise. You can worship and watch things just change as you get a hold of God. In the Bible, anytime there was a battle, who'd they send forward first? The praisers. The worshipers. Set the tone for what God's about to do. Worship service, set the tone for what God's about to do. You know, so many times we come in here so burdened down or so, so occupied by other things in our mind that we forget to set the atmosphere for what God wants to do in the altars at the end. Through our worship and our praise, that changes things. 1 Samuel 17, 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. I come. You come with all, with all this stuff? I come with the name of the Lord. Watch what happens to you. All I got to do is speak his name. Ephesians 6, 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That scripture goes on to talk about putting on the full armor of God. What is the only offensive weapon that those scriptures talk about in that particular passage? Sword of the Spirit. When Jesus was tempted by Satan for the 40 days, what did he continually say? It is written. It is written. Everything that you need to succeed in life is written right inside here. It is written. My, my kids don't serve the Lord. It is written. But I, I'm going through depression and suicide. It, it is written. But I, I can't face uh, financially. I, I just can't. I'm struggling. It is written. Everything's in here, and it's backed up by Him. We can't fail. You guys all stand. Eviction notice this morning. Devil, you got to go. You've got to go. Some of you guys in here this morning are dealing with some stuff. And you've been beat up over and over and over again. You think you got rid of it and you get beat up again with it. You're dealing with battles and struggles right now. Devil, you got to go. You've got to command that. You got to pray that over yourself. Devil, you got to go. Whatever it is that you're facing this morning, whatever you're struggling with, devil, you got to go and tell him that. You have Christ living in your heart, you have that authority. 
You have that power in you. If you don't and you're in here this morning, I encourage you to come to know Jesus as your Savior today. You will never be the same. And you can walk in the same power that we're talking about today.